Hello. You're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. Those who rarely succeed in life often don't know how to fail well. That people who rarely succeed often don't know how to fail well. And they might hear me say that and go, you've got to be joking. I'm failing all the time. Do you like your comfort zone or do you consider yourself a risk taker? Whether we like it or not, we need to step out and take some risks in order to grow or have any hope of succeeding. But of course, attached to the risk of success is the risk of failure. And some people are known to be quite allergic to failure, so it's not something they want to put themselves through. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues his five-part teaching series titled The Risk Series. Let's join him now for the second episode with a look at the risk of failure. We're continuing in the risk series. And as I've pointed out to you, this is something that we are all experts in because we're all subject to some kind of risk at some point because life is full of risks. You take a risk every time you get in your car. You take a risk every time you get on a bus or whatever you do you take a risk and life is full of risks and this is how I want to define risk risk is something attempted with the hope of success these are the, the this is the language I'm using hope of success but with the possibility of failure that's what we're referring to when we say taking a risk I pointed out in the first instalment, that Jesus told several parables that involved risk. There was a man who saw a field where there was a treasure hidden in the, in the field and he went and sold everything he had in order to buy that field so he could get that, that treasure. The risk he was taking in selling everything he had was that that treasure was worth more than what he had had. And, and Jesus is telling these stories about risk and that's, that's one of them, there's several, to say, if you're going to follow me, it may involve you psychologically taking a risk to follow me. And that's true. When it comes to how we apply this in, in our everyday life, there's this proverb that highlights the different ways that people take risks. It says this in Proverbs 21 verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Now in that, there's risk. You know, one of the other parables that Jesus told about risk as far as following him as well and being obedient to him was when he he tells this he told the story of someone who was very wealthy who gave five talents to one of his servants he gave two talents to another one and one talent to someone else and we think a talent is around about around about 30 kilos usually of gold and the one who had five came back and said I've doubled I've doubled this. How the heck do you double five bags of gold in whatever time period it was? It doesn't matter the time period, but how do you do that? You can only do it if you're prepared to take a risk. The other, the other person, so this, this is the plans of the diligent. The other person's highlighted here, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So there's a type of risk taking that is what we might call cavalier. It's impetuous. It's without thought, without planning, without preparation. And for some people who hear me talk about this, you might be thinking, oh, take ri- yeah, I took a risk. That didn't go well. Well, I hope today that you hear some things that might help you to maybe manage risk, see risk in a different light. So today, this is the second instalment. The first instalment was looking at the risk of pain. 
and suffering in, in life and also in following Christ. This is the second installment. This is dealing with, and this is something we are all experts in. So if you need any more advice about this, ask anyone here. This is the risk of failure. Oh, I'm assuming that. Is there anyone who hasn't ever failed? Of course we have. So we're all familiar with this topic. So when it comes to sometimes, you know, we're dealing with topics that are like, and how is that relevant? Well, this is relevant because we all do it all the time. So this is really relevant to look at this. So I'm going to be paying attention to myself, particularly as we go through this. I'm anchoring a lot of this series in this portion of scripture that, that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. And the reason for that is that in all of these things that we're looking at, and in our next installment, we'll look at the risk of rejection. First and Second Corinthians was largely birthed because the Apostle Paul had been rejected by many of the Corinthians. The Corinthians had seen Paul as a failure because when he came to Corinth, he worked as a tent maker. And they thought, well, if you're worth your salt as an apostle, surely you'd have a big ministry structure and you'd be having finance coming in and all the rest of it. And Paul didn't have any of that. So they thought he was a failure. Paul describes in First and Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians in particular, of the price he paid to serve Christ. And I mentioned last week that sometimes we as Christians have a really shallow, if not non-existent, understanding of the role that suffering plays in our development as followers of Christ now I'm not wishing any of this upon anyone I don't want anyone to fail I don't want anyone to suffer or be in pain but when it happens I want you to think about it a little bit differently this is what Paul said so we are always of good courage and if you read the context the good courage was setback 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 slander rejection setback we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And here's the key part of this, well, it's the key verse. It's verse 7 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. It says this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And so today, I hope at the end of this, you form a completely different way of looking at failure. And I hope you hear that. So this is the, the key verse that we're looking at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I'm, if you're someone who's acquainted with what we call prosperity preachers and you think, oh, here we go, we're going to be going down that route. Actually, no, we're not. So see how we go. The Christian life involves taking steps of faith. And I've put the word trust after that to make it very clear that what we're talking about is not using faith as some kind of force or magic where Christianity is not some kind of power to manipulate God. Faith is trust in who God is and what he has said. And it leads to obedience. It's why in the Old Testament, that where Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament, there is no Hebrew word for faith. The Hebrew word that is translated into our English Bibles as faith is the Hebrew word that is better translated into English as faithful. You see, the difference between faith is I believe. Faithful is therefore, I act, I walk, I obey, I do this. Faithful. So in the Hebrew mindset, trusting God meant that you were prepared to obey him and you took steps to do that. Without taking steps of 
faith, without taking steps of trust, without putting your faith into action, which would involve obeying God, it is absolutely impossible to grow as Christ's followers. You can't grow. See, let me just share with you my pastoral heart. I've told you many times that I see one of the main roles of a pastor, which is, this is the lane I'm in, is to help you to die well, comma, by living well. I want each of us, all of us, to get to the end of our life in those final moments where we have full confidence, trust in our Saviour. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, suffered horribly toward the end of his life with blindness and then he had nightmares about what he had done as a slave trader and and he wrote this and this is this has sort of gone down in history I am a great sinner but I have a great savior and I want that to be our confidence so that our confidence is not in ourselves but it is in Christ here's my second pastoral hope that each of us have a desire to grow as a Christian. To grow as a Christian in the things that make for an, an intimate walk with Christ, a passionate walk with Christ, an unshakable faith and trust in Christ. Those are the things that come from growing. Growing looks like you're prepared to help others. It's prepared, it means that you're prepared to get your nose out of your navel and see others and be considerate and thoughtful and learn how to listen and learn how to care and to have a heart for people who Jesus said are not yet of this flock it's easy sorry it's possible not necessarily easy it's possible for us as Christians to be growing in our relationship with God to have a heart for our brothers and sisters to recognize the centrality of the importance of meeting together as a church rather than going off and playing golf and getting your legs slashed open or whatever it is. I know that wasn't a Sunday. No, it wasn't a Sunday because you're always in church. There you go. This is part of the growth of the believer where our priorities change and we, we have a heart for people. We want to care and we want to reach out for people. And I've got to tell you, there are acts of care one for another that I hear of the community before me right now that just bring me to tears at times how much care there is and 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 pastor donna hill has been a huge contributor into that culture within our church and it's also possible that while we do that we go into the supermarket we walk around people not we walk around people and go god save that person open their eyes there's that whole acts 26 18 thing Turn them from darkness to light. Bring them into the kingdom of your son. Oh, there's another person. We'll do the same for them. It's possible where you can be a parent, love the children you've got and still want to have more children. And I hope that that translates into a spiritual realm. So here's my thing. If you come to church on a Sunday with absolutely no intention to grow closer to Christ, I fail. I have failed. I have failed as a preacher and as a pastor. And so this is my pastoral hope. That today you would make a decision, a resolution to say, that's it. I'm tired of just hanging around the well. I want to take some water to someone. I want to grow. So without taking these steps of faith to obey God, we, we, family, we cannot grow as a church. 
you know, this, I often bring people into this building because I'm so amazed at what uh, Jeff Hill and the team were able to do here. And I'll, I'll take people up to one of these things called a portal, these pillars. And I'm wondering, Pete, you ready to follow me? So if we go over to one of these, these are called portals. Now, Pete Dingamats invented these. Is that right, Pete? The Romans did. <laughs> so Pete told us about these. We had no clue. They're, they're, they're like an, an arch that holds the thing up. But if you have a close look at it, just look at it. These are all, it's made from scrap wood. And it's, it's glued layer upon layer upon layer and glued together. And it's just the scrap. And it's stronger than steel. So, it, it, so here's the thing. That's what you told me. And here's the thing. <laughs> if I'm wrong, he's wrong. <laughs> It's a metaphor for our church. God just takes ordinary people who perhaps aren't much like me and glues me in with people who maybe don't think much of themselves either. But together, we're strong and we can hold up a building like this. It's a great metaphor for what God wants to do through us. Not just you, us. And we took a step of faith in building this. We had $130,000 in the bank. Imagine the board meeting where we said, I know, why don't we build a $3 million building with the $130,000 we've got that no bank will lend us finance? And the board all said, that's a great idea, let's go. That wasn't how it went, by the way, but it was, it was not bad. It was pretty close to it because it was a God thing. You, you ask Jeffrey and he'll tell you that we actually took a step of faith to do this, Jeffrey, didn't we? And uh, drag a few in with us when we did it. That's right. But as a church, if we stop taking steps of faith, if we stop going beyond what we think we can do, because the moment I hear the word, that's impossible, I know, right, we're in the right zone. We've just walked into the right lane. Because if it's possible in our own strength, if we don't need God, how are we going to grow? So if you hear me say, we want to have thousands of people come to Christ through the Tasmania celebration. You go, well, that's impossible. I go, I know. That's why we're praying. That's why there are several people who I know in this church who are fasting at least once a week to see this thing come about. That's why I hope this afternoon at two o'clock we have a hundred people join with us to pray that God will do something. I don't always understand prayer, but it's a risk I'm prepared to take because I see that God is moved when his people pray. So this is a great verse on risk. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That's what it takes to take a holy risk. In order to truly succeed in any endeavor you have to take a risk you have to take a risk but but what have I failed you might you might that's didn't you look at the definition I put up of risk what were you doing not paying attention it's with the hope of success but the possibility of failing then then there are people who I've met who are kind of like um God is the, the genie in the lamp. Prayer is what rubs the lamp. He comes out and says, yes, master, what do you want? Well, today I want... What kind of Christianity is that? And this is... Sometimes I hear people who have this concept, this warped concept of God say things like this. I can't believe that God would ever let me fail. 
I just don't believe it would be God's will for me ever to fail at anything I do. If God's on my side, I'm always going to have success. Was that an amen? <laughs> I sure hope it wasn't an amen. Let me... <laughs> So just, if that's, your, if that's where you're coming from, hold that thought very lightly for the next 10 minutes or so. To truly succeed, you will have to fail several times. In 2007, we had uh, someone who may be a billionaire. I'm not sure about that, but he was certainly a multi-multi-millionaire. And we hosted him here in Tasmania, and he came and he did some seminars for... Christian business people, people who are, who are in business. And this is one of the first things he said. Who wants to be, who, who feels a call to be a Christian businessman? All these hands went up, women's hands went up, men's hands, young people's hands went up. And he said, okay, do you really want to know from me, is a highly successful man, do you really want to know how to succeed in business? And everyone said, yeah, still. All right, here's my first piece of advice. Fail three times and fail big. I was like... We paid money to come and hear this guy. What, what's that? And he said, I'm, I'm driving him around the state and he's saying it again, unless you've gone, you know, the, the most successful business people have all been bankrupt at least three times. Wow. It's a different way of viewing failure. Those who rarely succeed in life often don't know how to fail well. Some people say, oh, it always happens to me. I always lose. I always come last. I always, no, this is always me. Get your nose out of here. No. And, and this is what I want you to see, that people who rarely succeed often don't know how to fail well. And they might look, hear me say that and go, you've got to be joking. I'm failing all the time. But are you failing well? This is what the Bible says in relation to this issue taking the risk that could lead to failure. The righteous fall seven times and what do they do? They rise again. They get back up. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity and go, ah, oh, it's not even worth it, and they don't get back up. To set out to succeed but fail creates an opportunity to grow in knowledge. To grow in knowledge. Was it Thomas Edison who as a young apprentice at uh, this, this business that he was working for, was, was given the impossible job that, they all, that you know, somehow um, businesses or um, tradespeople love to give the apprentice the really difficult job. And so they said to him, we want you to, de to design a light, an electric light. You know the story? And... It turns out that he invented the incandescent globe, creating a vacuum, putting a bit of tungsten in there, electricity and, and light. And someone said, wow, you, you, you did it. How long did it take you to do that? He said, 10,000 attempts. And they said, oh, you failed 9,999 times? And his response was, oh, no, no. I found, successfully found, 9,999 ways of not to make a light globe. See, so here's the causes of failure. Now, I hardly need to tell you this. But in case you've never thought about those times and you failed, then consider this. Causes of failure. Firstly, being ill-prepared. 
preparation is one of the, the keys to not failing. Secondly, being under-resourced, attempting something and you don't have the resources, whether it be people, whether it be finance, whether it be material, whatever it is. Thirdly, being untrained. You actually don't know what you're doing. So the, the fear... Now, knowing this, by the way, should, should help you to be able to learn how to do things differently. That's, that's where I'm going to go in a moment. And this is, this is what I believe the scripture teaches. The fear of failing, the fear of trying, should I say, due to the fear of failure, makes you less likely to ever succeed. I, and I'm, I'm speaking about this as an expert in the field of fear of failure. I fear failure. I have hesitation to try certain things because I might fail. But I know that what I see in Scripture is that unless you fail and learn from it and have another go, the righteous get up seven times. You may never find the success that you're really looking for. So here's the ingredients for success. Let's flip the other side of the coin. If you really want to succeed you probably need to incorporate these things. Be well prepared. That might take years, by the way. Make sure you've got the resources to proceed. Secondly, if you need to be trained in something, get the training, get the coaching you need. Training is, you've learned something, coaching is now let me help you do this. I I heard um, Jack Nicholson, I'm not a golfer, Elizabeth. Golf is a stupid game. I'm sorry, but it's a stupid game. Comes from Scotland. Comes from Scotland. <laughs> Jack, Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas, world's greatest golfer, right? He won, he's won more majors than any other golfer. When he had won 18 majors, these are the four, part of the four biggest tournaments in the golfing world. When, when he had won 18 majors, he was aged 47. And he's about to start his year. He did what he did and had done for the last uh, 20-something years of his professional career. He started learning golf when he was 10. And his coach said, do you want to play golf? Yeah, yeah, I love golf. I play golf all the time. He said, right. And the coach said this to him, you know nothing about golf. He goes, what do you mean I know nothing about golf? I've been out with my dad and golf. So no, no, let me show you the very first thing you need to know about golf. And that was how to hold the club, Elizabeth. How to hold the club. So he's being shown how to hold the club, how to get your feet, how to get your head. That right there. And like, that was his first lesson as a 10-year-old. When he won his 18th major at the age of 47 and he's about to start his new season, he got that coach back in and said, all right, run me through that again. And he did it every year that he won a major. Every year he got that coach back in and said, okay, show me how to hold the club. Show me where to put my feet. Show me where to put my head. And he did the basics. He was prepared to be the world's greatest golfer ever. Went right back to basics and was prepared to listen to a coach. Isn't that amazing? If you really want to succeed, get the support that you need that is the people who can give you the advice the people who can resource the people who are in your reference and I'm going to use this word experience at this point and I'm going to let you on a little secret that word experience 
is a fancy word that us adults use and it means I have failed. Are you an experienced brain surgeon? The brain surgeon who says yes has probably lost a patient. On Not, where did he go, but lost a patient. <laughs> Dang, I hate it when that happens. Where did I go? <laughs> Right, these are, come on, back in the room. These are the ingredients to succeeding. And they're, and they're all biblical. You'll find the scriptures talk about this. All right. There's also a spiritual dimension, a spiritual dimension to success. I'm going to use this, this reference here. This is just to give you a clue of what the Bible talks about when it talks about God the spiritual realm and success. This is taken from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 13. Then you will prosper or succeed if you are careful to observe the statutes and the rules that the Lord commanded Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Here's one of the 365 times these two words occur in Scripture. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. There is a spiritual element to whether you succeed or fail at something, whatever that might be. The Bible describes people who have failed, who then succeeded. And it makes me think, I wonder if Peter Daniels was onto something here. I wonder if these people who all describe success as being the thing that started with them failing and sometimes failing magnificently. Look, please don't. If you're going to complain to me about what I'm about to say, all complaints, just to let you know, go to Tony. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, this is where I could get complaints, who wrote, who wrote a book for children. Right, I haven't mentioned anything, so no complaints so far. J.K. Rowling sent off her manuscript for her first book to a publisher who said, no, no one will ever read that. Sent it off. I don't know how many publishers she sent it off to until someone eventually said, okay, We'll publish your book. What's the name of it again? Harry Potter. 100 million copies of sale? Like, like, does your head in? She failed, she failed, she failed, she failed, she failed, she failed. Someone published success. I think in the Christian life, we need to appreciate that the Bible describes very successful people who all, without exception, failed. Adam failed plunged mankind into sin. How did he succeed? He became the ancestor of the Redeemer. Abram, who became Abraham, he told some people who he was afraid of that the attractive woman that he was with was actually his sister and, and gave them the message, she's just my sister. It's like, nothing to me, just my sister. He failed. But God made him the father of faith. Jacob. Jacob was a cheat. You might remember he cheated Esau, his brother, out of what could have been his inheritance without trusting God, that God would have worked out a way to do it. And eventually he wrestled with God and God fought with him as a metaphor for his life. You can't always fight to win. Sometimes you've got to relax and trust. And God then pulled his leg out of its hip joint and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life as a reminder to trust God. 
Then we have Moses. He killed an Egyptian and it says in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 that Moses supposed all the Hebrews knew what he was doing. And they didn't, but Moses became the deliverer of Israel. David, the Bible says that wherever David went, he succeeded because the Lord was with him. And then one day he committed adultery, organized a contract on someone's life, the lady's husband. And, and he went into massive failure but God redeemed him and, and through his redemption he bought the property at the top of Mount Zion which would become the temple which would be used for the redemption of mankind. And then Simon Peter, there's so many things we could talk about Simon Peter. We could talk about Simon getting out of the boat, walking on water, taking his eyes off Christ, failing, Christ grabbing him. We could talk about Simon denying Christ three times before the rooster crowed and then Christ totally transforming him on the day of Pentecost where he became one of the most powerful preachers in the history of the church. There is a point here where if we want to learn how to succeed, we have to do our homework and recognise that failure is sometimes a part of it. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't and I'm talking to myself as well. This is the principle in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your home. This is what I would say to every young man here. If you are going to take a young lady as your bride, get a job. Save some money. Be wise with what you do with money. Prepare your work in the field. Then build your house and your house could be your home, which could be the beginning of your family, which could be your bride. So you have, based on this, do your homework, get your preparation done. You have less reasons to be afraid of failing if you've done your homework. And here's the homework that I think scripture encourages us to do. Read through the book of Proverbs. The first thing it says is seek wisdom. Seek wisdom from God. God, show me how to do this. Give me the wisdom, Lord, to be able to do this. Secondly, receive instruction and correction. The Bible says through Proverbs that the wise receive correction. Thirdly, learn how to lose well by congratulating others, particularly those who win and succeed. We live in a culture sometimes called the tall poppy syndrome where if anyone succeeds, we want to tear them down. That's not what the Bible says to do. It says congratulate them, honour those, it says in Romans 12. And four, view failure as education. I remember hearing of the corporation where one of the, it was a financial corporation, and one of the brokers who was responsible for investing in um, must, must have been the currency market or something. He, he lost, in one transaction, he lost that company a, something like a billion dollars. And it was a full-blown media conference and the company was you know, having an answer for, for this huge loss. And the CEO had to front the media and said, uh, what are you going to do about this staff member who's just cost you a billion dollars or whatever the exact amount was? And are you going to sack him? And the CEO said, sack him? I just spent a billion dollars training him. Treat failure, view failure as an education. And number five, try again. Implement all of those things and try again. 
So here's the spiritual insight that I think we need to be aware of when it comes to how we view those times when we fail in life, whether it be relationships, whether it be financial, whether it be career, whatever we think we have failed at. Firstly, accept that God can use failure to help you to succeed. He can use that. Think of Peter. I mentioned him before. He went from being Simon to becoming Peter. He went from uh, being the denier to being the leader of, on the day of Pentecost. Think of Saul, the persecutor of the church, who, came, who became the Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle in the New Testament. Secondly, don't blame God for the consequences of your disobedience. I don't understand why God would let me fail. I don't understand why God would do this to me. I don't understand why God would give me cancer. I don't understand why God would, whatever it is, don't blame God for that. Don't do that. Instead of lifting a fist to heaven, lift an open hand in worship and trust him. That's where we started. Trust God. And thirdly, seek God in prayer and through the wise counsel that he provides. And I can assure you, he's probably already put it in your life. It's within earshot of where you are now. This is ordinarily where I would conclude the message and encourage you to see failure as something different. But now I want to say, what if you do all that? What if you do all that and you succeed? So I want to give you a little warning. The warning, the, the reward and the danger of success. My experience in growing up, and I know my parents are, are watching this now live, and, and, I, and I've, I saw firsthand what success can do. So let me, let me just tell you, this is, you probably never came to church this morning and, and thought you'd hear a, a, a text from the book of Obadiah. Did anyone read Obadiah as your devotional this morning before you came? Obadiah, verse 3. You might think, what chapter is that? That just tells me you've never read Obadiah. There are no chapters in Obadiah. It is just one book with verses. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? And I think it's uh, speaking of the Edomites, but... The principle is when you have so much wealth and success and prosperity and everything's going well, you're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place because your trust is in yourself, not in God. So here's what I think we need to know about success. If God blesses you, and I'm, I'm hesitating to even describe it as a blessing, but if he does, be very careful. Because success can be a blessing and it can do great good. But history tells us not always. Not always. And here's what I want to say to those who perhaps feel like life has been tough, like really tough, unfair tough. You are not a failure because you fail. You are not a failure because you fail. Let me, let me put it this way. You are not a failure just because you have failed. Just because you failed. It doesn't make you a failure. And conversely, you might have a lot of money. You might be highly, highly educated and think you've got all the trappings of success. Can I say to you, and all complaints go to Tony. 
You are not a success just because you succeeded at something. I'm amazed at how many people who I've heard say this, I can't understand why my kids are off the chart, my marriage is in tatters, because I've got a PhD. What? Yeah, I've got a PhD, that means I'm successful at everything. What, they hand out PhDs for stupid? Like, what, what is that? I'm going to come back and I want to close in prayer and pronounce a benediction and invite you to respond. Thanks, guys. What a great song. Would you please stand? I hope you've heard today that no matter what you have experienced that you considered to be a, a failing, that God is able to redeem. Sometimes God draws a, a line in the page, as accountants refer to it, a red line where, okay, that chapter's done. Now you start a new chapter. And for some of you, that's what he's got to do. And that's what you've got to do as well. So Father, I pray that you would help us to be your people, to take those steps of faith where we hope for success. We do all the things that your word instructs us to do as we've seen today. And that Lord, in doing that, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Lord, lead us and guide us individually. Lead us and guide us as families. Lead us and guide us as a church. Father, for those who are in situations where you need to draw a red line across the page. Help them to have the courage and the boldness to step across that red line and into a new chapter. And now, Lord, for those who perhaps have been listening to this and go, you don't know how I failed. And the good news is I don't need to know, but I do know there is someone who does know. And despite what you've done, despite what's happened, despite the mistakes and the failings that you've made, He's prepared to redeem you, to rescue you, draw a red line across the page and give you a new start. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away. A prayer that says, Dear God, please take my life. Forgive me, but rescue me and help me from this point on to live for you. Come into my life, I pray. You pray a prayer like that, your life will be different from this point on and into eternity. Now, Lord, I pray for us that we might know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we've heard tonight, there are so many key characters mentioned in the Bible who failed. But we also see that God can use failure to help us succeed. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the risk of rejection. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.